three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Buzzardry. Very good to be back with you. It is Sunday night, November 20th at the time of this recording. It is officially Thanksgiving week, and it is officially the last week of the regular season. Patrick, we'll talk about what happened this past weekend against South Alabama, the final home game for Southern Miss, and we will look ahead to Louisiana Monroe, among a few other things. My name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner, Patrick McGee. Pat, how you doing? Glad to be here on this Sunday night. This episode is brought to you by BigGoldNation.com per usual. Thanks to Big Gold Nation for sponsoring the episode. All right, Pat, let's jump right into this. We have talked over and over again about this team being close, the progression being clear, and these last three weeks we've seen that. We've seen, I think, it spots the progression. We've seen the places where there needs to be progression, and these last two weeks, especially against two really good football teams, it just hasn't been enough. Yeah, it hasn't. It has just been a position here, a position there. And uh, in this game, it was kind of what we talked about um, against Coastal Kind of You talked about, I guess, pass protection and uh, uh, quarterback play and low. He wasn't terrible. Um, certainly, he was just kind of average. He missed a couple throws. But he, um, you, know, he, he, you know, he probably gave you still one of the better starts of the year. Um, but, yeah, it was just kind of pass protection, um, especially on that last drive where you kind of look at that, whatever it was, fourth and five, yep. and the pocket just kind of collapsed, and he was able to, I mean, get rid of it, but it had no chance of being completed. Uh, and really, on that last drive in particular, you, you kind of saw the O-line kind of collapse there. But that, and then, you know, you kind of look toward uh, the end of the first half or south. It was 10-3 to USN with about five minutes left, and south was able to uh, get on the board or get 10 points there late. Um to make it 13 10 and a half so it was just kind of a, a combination of uh offense um offensive line struggling um later in the game in particular i would say um early in the game really that first touchdown drive offensive line played well very well you're able to really run the ball there yeah. I thought the interior really dominated on that first drive mm-hmm. um but yeah it was just kind of the, a defensive collapse there toward the end of the first half uh carter bradley making a phenomenal play rolling out uh, to his right, kind of throwing across his body and finding a guy for a touchdown. I mean, that was kind of a Mahomes Allen type play. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, all of, and then yeah, uh, then just kind of the offensive line breaking down there uh, toward the end of the game. I think all of those were kind of the uh, contributing factors as to why you weren't able to break through in this one. And I don't know that <clears throat> I don't know that you really learned a lot about this team this week. It was sort of some of these same things coming up again. Do you think that's fair? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of the. I guess the consistent inconsistency. Mm. Uh, we do some things well, some things not so well, and yet it all kind of ends up uh, being a close loss. I mean, another uh, one possession loss, and now you're, I think, three and three in one score games, which is what you expect. I mean, one score games typically are going to win, you're going to be 500 of those games. So uh-huh. uh, this came out in the wash at this point, but um, yeah, just another tough loss. And, you know, you feel like you've had a couple chances uh, to kind of get that another, I guess the two lane was signature win, but get another big win and you've just fallen short. And it's just frustrating because, I mean, at five and six, I think this is where we both had us at this point. 
mm-hmm. um, heading in the last game against uh, Monroe. Uh, but just kind of the way these last two games are going, because you really felt like you had a good shot, or at least a, a decent shot at points uh, to come through, and you just haven't been able to do it. Yeah, and it was—it really it, this felt this game felt closer than some of these other swing games because there were—I mean, it was a ten-point game there when you got the ball and you know had some heaves of desperation there in that final drive, but it really was closer, I think, <laughs> than maybe it felt at the end there as you were scrambling to try to get points on the board and get the onside kick, which you almost got. One play here, one play there. There was, uh, I don't know if you can call it a drop on the Jason Brownlee. Uh, was, that a, was that a second down? Um, yeah, yeah, it was It was an early down. I can't remember if it was first. It was, I, think it was, I think it was second. But, yeah, I mean, that was uh, I mean, that was a very catchable ball. I mean, I think you can say that was a drop. I mean, it was Well, a, I think it was a drop for Jason Brownlee. I think a, a lot of guys would not make that catch, but that's one we have come to expect him to make. Right. I mean, it was it was a tough play, you know. It oh, was, yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly contested. And, um, you know, but, yeah, I mean, it was certainly a catch. Like you said, you expect him uh, to make it. He wasn't able to do it, and that would have got you in a really good position. And then, um, yeah, then you eventually were just – you weren't able to move the ball enough to get at least in field goal range mm-hmm. uh, to tie or uh, take the lead there with the touchdowns. So, and then, yeah, and then we talked about and that. And then it was, it was the next drive that South Alabama put it in the end zone, yes. correct? Yes. Yeah, on that on incredible play, you just it's it's it was really those two plays at the in the second half of the fourth quarter that changed the makeup of the game. If they would have gone your way, then you very easily could have won that football game uh, against a really good South Alabama. We have touched on this before. There certainly was a difference in what Womack and Hall inherited in their first year, and that certainly bears repeating mm-hmm. because. You can't just look at it on paper and and say, okay, they're rebuilding, go, and now compare the records and say, well, Womack's done a much better job than Hall has. But is there is there concern for you at all? Uh, or, you know, obviously there's frustration because it's South Alabama and they're 3-0 and against you. And just due to the fact that they're South Alabama, um, kind of the backdrop that presents. But I don't know, how how, how does that – strike you, I guess, that that comparison of those two coaches yeah. and those two rebuilds? Yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of one of the debates you saw on Twitter last night. And uh, I think you, you do have to admit, South Al, they were, I guess, probably pretty close to having uh, 85 scholarships, whereas USM was in the lower uh, 60s when Hall got in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also got to look in and just kind of talk about, I guess, the big di- our big difference is the offenses. I mean, South has a pretty competent offense. not great, um, but – competent enough because, I mean, they got a really good defense. That's been what's been carrying it. But uh, you look at the difference in the offense, and you, you have to look at the quarterback first, and then I guess we can get the offensive line difference later. But, I mean, you kind of look at they hit on a transfer quarterback, Carter Bradley. He was, mm-hmm. a you know, a QB2 from Toledo. I mean, certainly not a guy that came in with a lot of fanfare, but he's been very effective for them. Um, and then you also kind of look at the offensive line, and USM has also hit on a couple offensive line, uh, offensive line, but it's been on the interior. Uh, you kind of talk about the weakness there at tackle. Yeah. And uh, I was just kind of so looking at the uh, their starters yesterday. They had uh, James Jackson uh, there at center. I mean, this is an in- interior. And I, I don't really know what their offensive line situation was uh, when he got there. But I know they brought in James Jackson from State. And then they also had brought in uh, Dante Lewis uh, there from Florida State. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've hit on a couple. Uh, I mean, they hit at the big one, quarterback. Uh, whereas USM had not uh, or, or has not um, in the transfer market. And then they've also brought in uh, a couple good um, 
um, offensive linemen uh, from the transfer portal um, as well. And I think that's a big difference. And um, and USM, I mean, like I was saying, USM has also brought in guys like Bryce Ramsey and Mays that have been playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, the tackles, uh, that was kind of the big uh, pass protection, kind of the difference you saw there later in the game. So, yeah, uh, I think it's uh, you have not all of it's on haul, but I think you do have to um, say that a big part of the reason South Alabama has gotten uh, built up quicker is that they were able to hit on a quality transfer quarterback, and USM has it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, at the end of the day, that is on the coaching staff. But that's, I mean, again, they were at a better starting point, but you do have to put that um, the transfer quarterback kind of whiff uh, on Hall's feet. So, Right, and I, and I really – I wish it was – as simple as just going out and, and picking a guy and bringing him right. to campus. And, and we, yeah, we both know we don't have to explain much easier said than done. Hopefully, I mean, I would, I would assume it's going to be an emphasis in the off season and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that situation uh, once the season concludes. But I also think it's reflective when you do compare these two rebuilds in this game, given the fact that it was so close and, just one or two plays go a different way, and Southern Miss wins this game. I think had had you hypothetically hit on a quarterback to this point, then you would – I think you would be in a position where South Alabama is or in a similar spot to where you're thinking about competing for the Western Division. I think that, again, is indicative of how close you are. That's your one position away. Obviously, the most important position, but you're really close. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a, a roster that is competitive enough around if you put a good quarterback in there where you would be able to compete for West Division to win, you know. May, maybe not go 9-2, and two, but a, maybe like a 7-4, yeah. 8-3 a yeah. uh, type scenario. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's just pass protection and uh, mm-hmm. quarterback. I mean, those are kind of the two things everywhere else. I mean, I'm not saying this is like, you know, the best roster in the group of five like Hall kind of talks about, but it's certainly a, a roster good enough to where if you can hit those – um, positions in the transfer market, um, and they're good players um, in 2023. You know, you'll be able uh, to be in that mix uh, for the West Division. So it's just kind of those are the two um, positions that need offensive tackle and um, a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly, once that transfer portal deadline hits, I guess this early December, I mean, that'll kind of be the thing everybody's kind of watching is seeing yep. who. Um, Hall, what efforts they are. I mean, I'm sure they're going to make a strong effort, but just kind of um, who oh, they yeah. go after and uh, what kind of um, commitments uh, there are. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, again, I think I think those will obviously be top of the list in terms of emphasis, quarterback, offensive line. But I think overall, I think the staff is going to go really heavy on the portal slash JUCO. I think I think we're going to see a, a pretty small number of high school signees. I think, I think they recognize both that – this is sort of the time when you have to start hitting your stride as a program and that you are close, as we've been talking about. I think the foundation is there to make a jump. So I, I expect heavy, heavy transfer portal JUCO signees in this this next class. I think Hall said they might not take any more high school guys at all. Okay. Unless there's there like, you, you know, one kind of came available because of like a late, you know, some team let them all or um, released them from their commitment because they ran out of room or something yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know how many, I don't know the exact math on the scholarships. Oh, I don't either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be, they're going to hit the portal and then, um, heavy. And, um, I, I don't know with the deadline, I don't, I guess it'll be maybe a little more condensed than it usually is. I mean, it'll probably be a frenzy where you'll have the portal's going to hit and you're going to see, you know, a bunch of these guys, I mean, probably a lot of, 
um, guys from SEC programs kind of from this footprint. And, um, you know, people are going to be like, oh, you know, I heard a rumor about such and such. And Hall's got in contact. We'll be, you know, I'm sure I'll be looking at, like, Hall's Twitter follow list and see who he's oh, following yeah. on Twitter and saying, oh, he's following such and such player from so-and-so. And that means, you know. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, the portal is going to be key. And if you can hit on a quarter – I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, you still uh, – I mean, you would bring back um, – even though – or you, you pr- could bring back low – um, and, you know, we talked about the progression of Wilkie, but still, I mean, neither of those guys at this point are, I mean, surefire things. And, I mean, obviously Lowe's an older guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to bring in someone, I mean, maybe two quarterbacks from the portal yep. um, along with those offensive linemen we've talked about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the thing. I mean, and the defense I thought was okay in the game. I mean, you gave up 27 points. Uh, you were able to create some turnovers that kept you in the game because South did – yeah, uh, they were six point seven yards per play. That's pretty good. But did uh, we score any uh, points seven. off of those turnovers? Uh, we'll see. Seven. Yes. Okay. Um, there was one. Okay. Uh, and then also it, you can also maybe count that um that fake punt uh that was stopped. You got a field goal off of that. Um, but yeah, South was um I mean that was kind of the thing that kept you in the game. Uh, the turnover. So the turnover margin was. Three to one, USM won the turnover margin. Three to one. That's what kept you in the game because South was uh, plus uh, over two yards better in yards per play. Um, so yeah, the defense. Uh, I mean, wasn't their best game? Kept you in it with turnovers, um, like I was saying. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean that's when you talk about points of emphasis in the, in the transfer portal. I mean, they'll probably hit the um, defensive side some too. Sure. Um, but I mean, the big improvement you need to make is on the offensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the passing game. And um, so I think that, yeah, those will be the positions you probably see. I mean, just quarterback attack, what we've been saying this entire podcast, uh, <laughs> in the portal. So Yes, and before we get to that, we have one more regular season game to talk about. Louisiana Monroe stands before Southern Miss and bowl eligibility. Pat, what do we need to know about the Warhawks? Well, they're 115 in S&P Plus and FPI, and USM is a, a three-point favorite. I think the winning percentage – or the chance of winning was like around 60% or so. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're probably at better on offense than they're on defense. They have Chandler Rodgers, who, of course, was uh, in the USM program, I guess, for a year before going to JUCO, and then he's at ULM. But he's had a good year. He's probably in the, I would say, in the upper half of uh, Sunbelt quarterbacks. He's thrown for just under 2,300 yards. Uh, completed 68% of his passes, 14 touchdowns, seven receptions. Uh, so, yeah, defensively they're not. I mean, they're kind of probably bottom – 20, bottom 30 in defense, I think I've seen. Offense, like I was saying, a little better. Uh, so, yeah, this is a game. I mean, they're 4-7. and seven. They, I guess they'd be 2-5 and five in the league, I think, because they, I think they beat Army, and then they won their FCS game against Nichols. Um, so, yeah, this is a, um, a team you should beat, yeah. uh, but it is certainly not a gimme. I think they're a well-coached team. I think um, – Terry Bowden is a good coach. I mean, he he's kind of a meme just because he, he's been around a long time, and I guess he maybe looks a little bit funny. Uh, <laughs> um, but he's a good coach. I mean, you look, he, oh, yeah. you just go back to, I mean, even the 90s at Auburn where he went undefeated. That was the year Auburn was on probation, so they couldn't win anything, but they went undefeated. Um, and then at um, North Alabama, he won a bunch. Um, and then at Akron, he took them to a bowl. He, I mean, he's doing better than what Akron's – or he did better than what Akron's done really in the last 10 or 15 years or so. And then uh, at ULM, I mean, he's got them. I mean, last year, or 2020, they went winless, and then he had won four or five games last year. And then this year, 
Uh, it's four and seven. Um, so, I mean, probably exceeded expectations, even though they aren't going to a bowl. Um, so, yeah, it is a, um, a game. I mean, we talked about the, the 30 to 70%, and this is another game where we talked about last week was kind of the coin, the coin these coin flip games last week is a little bit weighted. South Alabama this week is a little bit weighted toward USM. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, certainly, I mean, not, I think, and I think people know at this point, but, like, I think earlier they were like, oh, yeah, this is a gimme. But this is this is a sneaky game for sure, and it's certainly not one um, you can take for granted. I mean, I would – it's probably going to be another one of those games where it's a, a one-possession game at some point in the uh, in the fourth quarter, and you're going to be biting your nails uh, hoping to get to six wins. So, Yeah, I'm about tired of those, I think. <laughs> I'm ready for some gimmies. Yes. A few gimmies in conference play. But that's just, that's just where you are as a program – yeah, and you mentioned, I mean, Monroe, and, and we've talked about sort of the parity in the conference, but, I mean, you, all you have to do is look back a couple of weeks at what Georgia State did to you. Yeah. And Monroe beating Georgia State at Georgia State and competing pretty well against Troy as well. Chandler Rogers, certainly capable quarterback, I think. He can run too. It, yeah, he's. I mean, he's a good athlete, has a really good arm is capable of making things out of broken plays, which we have seen the Southern Miss defense really struggle with quarterbacks who have that ability. I mean, you just look at what Carter Bradley did on that. Exactly. Play. Yeah. That, and that was a game changing play. And there were several of those game changing plays when Southern, Southern Miss has played mobile quarterbacks, not even mobile quarterbacks, just the ability to move around in the pocket. And it's going to be a test for your defense. And there are, you know, just like there are no gimmies in the game. There are no defenses that you play against where you feel really, really good about uh, with with the way that this offense has been up and down. But a chance for Trey Lowe in this offense to put up some points. And I think it feels like you're going to have to in this game. Yes, and I was just kind of, I was trying to pull up the uh, S&P Plus defensive statistics. So, yeah, there, ULM is 125 in, um, in defense uh, this year, according to S&P Plus. This is going to be the worst defense you've played this year, aside from Northwestern State. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you would hope the offensive line can hold up enough. You can hope Lowe can um, kind of play like he did um, against um, Coastal. And, uh, and if you do those things, you could be in a good position to win this game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, offensively, they're 70th in S&P+. Plus. Uh, so that's pretty solid. I think that's probably put them in the at least the maybe top half of the Sun Belt. Uh, so defense, I mean, it's just kind of saying old football cliches. But defense is gonna have to play well. Mm-hmm. Um, defense is gonna have to play well. Offense, offense is gonna, is gonna have, have to play, play well, well <laughs> and special teams will have to play well. Yeah, for I agree. You, yeah, for USM to win this game, so there's some hard hitting <laughs> analysis yes. for people right there. That's why you guys subscribe to Buzzard Dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's just. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, you, I, you feel like USM would be more fired up if you're looking for something. I hope to, so. Because you don't have to have anything to play for. Yeah. Um, and hopefully it'll be a good uh, contingent of USM fans there. I, I mean, I feel like ULM won't have a huge crowd there. It's a the couple of days after Thanksgiving. They're already out of the bowl picture. Yep. Um, so, yeah, hopefully um, you kind of have I – mean, maybe not the quite, quite the cl- crowd you brought in 2015 to La Tech, uh, but, but maybe you bring, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 or so. 
uh, and try to get the bowl eligibility. So, yeah, and this would also also um, just kind of talk about the vibes and kind of the momentum of the program. Mm. Uh, you, you really don't want to lose your last four games no. and go to five and seven and miss a bowl. It feels like you're sort of teetering on the edge of one or the other. It's You're going to be very discouraged and frustrated about the season, or you'll take a lot of positive momentum into next year if you can get bowl eligibility. Yeah, I mean, after the Lafayette game to go to 5-3, I mean, you're at 96 or 97% chance to get to six wins yeah. uh, to kind of throw that out the window or let that, um, you know, slip away. Yeah. Uh, that'd be pretty disappointing. I think people would kind of really be down um, heading into year three. Yes. It's kind of like um, a little different situation, but, you know, the last game in the 2014 season when UAB really took it uh, to Munkin's uh, second-year team at Hattiesburg, and then they like they shut down the program the next day. But I think people <laughs> yeah. were really disappointed because you had lost the last five games, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, people were just kind of discouraged. Uh, so this would be a game. You get to bowl eligibility. Uh, you get to six and six. You get extra practices for those um, young players. Um, and then you also take some momentum in recruiting when you need some momentum yes. in recruiting because yes. we, we kind of talk about the recruiting impact of uh, South Al and now they're three and zero, and that just kind of said, well, now how you, you know, how do you recruit against uh, South Al, uh, like a player from like, you know, Green County or UMS Wright or one of those kind of South Mississippi, South Alabama uh, type schools um, when they've you know had the head to head and they've had a better season. So if you get to a bowl, that would, um, you know, certainly give you some momentum, uh, not only with the fans, but it would help you um, in recruiting and yeah, it's uh, in the transfer market as well you know guys yeah. would want to come play for a team that they feel like can you know win immediately and going to a bowl uh would give some I guess credence to that so sure it would quite the important ball game uh Pat have you ever been to a game in Monroe I have not I have been to um I've been to Ruston I've been to Shreveport but yeah I guess out of the three um larger stadiums uh, in North Louisiana that's the one that I have not been to so I'll okay. be checking that off the box uh, this weekend so Yes. Go get us a win. That is that is a big one. Four o'clock kickoff, is that correct? Yes, on ESPN uh, Plus. There you go. We will take a look at what happened next week as always. Pat, anything else before we move on? Uh, I think that is it. We talked about bowl eligibility. Got to get to those six wins first, but all of the hypotheticals start to come into play when you do. You've had a, multiple people on Twitter asking you what are the chances Southern Miss doesn't get into a bowl if they do reach those those six wins, and you ran the numbers, Pat. Yeah, I think there's a, a very good to almost near – I mean, it depends on – I don't know if it's near certain, but because um, there has been uh, – un or no confirmation on this, but if there are a surplus of teams uh, that make bowls and there aren't enough bowls to get those teams in, ESPN last year they just created a bowl out of thin air, uh, The whatever, the Frisco football classic between, I think it was Miami, Ohio, and North Texas. Uh, so I don't know if they do that, uh, but if they don't, um, USM would need to win, and then they would need uh, six of – so right now you have 73 teams, just kind of starting over a little bit, but 73 teams that are locked in uh, for bowl eligibility. And then you have two more teams you have. So then you would have 17 teams uh, for nine spots, um, but four of those teams play each other. So you're going to have two teams that are going to play their way into a bowl, and then you're going to have two teams that are play their way out of a bowl. Hmm. Uh, so that narrows it down to 13 for seven um, thirteen teams for yeah, thirteen teams for seven spots, and obviously USM would be in that thirteen. So, but then you have the twelve other games of teams that are at um five wins. Um, you would need six of those teams to lose, and then obviously USM to win 
um, to be guaranteed of a bowl in there. And it really sets up well in terms of just the teams because a lot of these five-win teams have very uh, difficult games. So just going through, and I tweeted this out uh, so people can go look at my Twitter. I might pin this um, on my feed so people can see it easier. But uh, the 12 games, just going through them real quick. Arkans- or Missouri hosting Arkansas. You want to root for Arkansas there. Missouri's at five wins. Uh, Georgia Tech goes to Georgia. Georgia Tech's probably not going to win that. Uh, WKU, or sorry, FAU hosts um, WKU, and that's the game where WKU's favored. You want to rip WKU there. FAU's at five wins. Uh, Buffalo, I guess, is kind of the wild card. They're five and five. They had a game last week postponed uh, against Akron because of the snowstorm up there. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to make that up, but they're at five wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to root for Kent State there. Uh, that's kind of a, a coin flip type game. Um, Rice goes to North Texas. Uh, North Tech or North. You want to root for North Texas? They're they're a um a double digit favorite. Um, Auburn goes to Alabama. Obviously, Alabama big favorite there. Rooting for Alabama there. Uh, UAB needs to beat La Tech in Ruston. Uh, UAB I think is a double digit favorite. So that's one of the uh, I guess rare instances in this group where uh, the team at five wins is uh, favored. Um, UTEP goes to UTSA. UTSA's big favorite there. You want to root for them. Um, Michigan State goes to Penn State, uh, rooting for Penn State there, and obviously Penn State to be a big favorite. Um, and then ULL, um, another Sun Belt team there. Uh, they're at five wins. They're going to Texas State, rooting for Texas State there. Uh, Vanderbilt hosting uh, Tennessee, rooting for Tennessee. Tennessee, big favorite. Um, and then uh, Miami hosting Pittsburgh, rooting for Pittsburgh there. Pittsburgh is a, a small favorite. So you need six of those games to go your way. Uh, and to win against ULM to be 100% sure of a bowl game. And I think uh, based on the ESPN, uh, FPI, I was looking at it. I think they're out of the 13 teams battling for the seven spots. Um, they are projecting one, two, three, four, four of the 13 to win, nine to lose. And they're, yeah, USM would be in that four. Uh, so if that ends up, if, if it goes straight chalk, you would have 77, or sorry, 79 teams. Um, so you would have three five-win teams, and that would come down to APR at that point. Uh-huh. Uh, so you would have, I mean, <laughs> I think Rice, of course, would have one of the higher APRs, right. I believe. I saw I think Murphy uh, say that in an article. Um, Iowa State apparently is up there, but that, I mean, who cares at that point? But, um, but even if there are a surplus McMurphy, he's waffled back and forth on this. He, he said in a tweet earlier, like in November, that they would not create a bowl. But then he's, somebody uh, sent an article to me on, uh, or mentioned me on Twitter on an article that um, McMurphy came back like a week or two later and said they would create a bowl. So, uh, but either way, I, I, th- I think there's definitely those six of those teams on that list are going to lose. Yep. Um, so I think if you win at ULM, I think you were near certain going to get to a bowl. But I just wanted to lay that out there. So, Yeah, good breakdown. Uh, and again, go to Pat's Twitter if, if you want to see that list of who to root for and what scores to check <clears throat> this upcoming weekend. Anything else on football before we talk a little round ball? I think that's it. All right, another big win for the Hardwood Eagles, 76-72 over Liberty and uh, I don't know what the metrics say after this game, but I th- that feels like a bigger win than the Vanderbilt win. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're very comparable. 
um, two top 100 type teams. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a game where um, you it, it felt too easy in the first 25 oh, yes. minutes. It was like because like Austin Crowley's making like 30 footers. I'm like, wow, we're you know we're beating a, a 12 or 13 seed type team by 26 of their place. This feels too easy, and you felt like like Liberty, they were going to have a run. You didn't know how big the run was going to be. You felt like, like man, maybe they'll get it to 14 or 12 and make you sweat a little bit. I don't think anybody expected them, uh, well, maybe we should have expected them, kind of just on the history of Southern Miss Athletics, to go on a 26 nothing run. Uh, they took a, a, a brief lead. Um, but, yeah, USM was able to uh, roar, or not roar, but just, you know, able to come back and um, – Hang on, went seventy six, seventy two, in a hostile environment there, yep. and it was just yeah, a really huge win for the team. And yeah, we kind of talked about well, it's Vanderbilt win is that you know we didn't think it was a fluke, but you didn't know you have to or were they able gonna were you going to be able to play like that later in the year? And now you have two of those type of wins, and at this yep. point, you know, it's obvious that wasn't a fluke. This team is at least uh, we'll see what the ceiling is, but they're at least pretty good. I think you can say at this yeah. point. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, two two big reasons. I think this is better than again comparable, but better than the Vanderbilt win. You mentioned the the environment. I mean, that was pretty much a full house. It looked like a, a really great and hostile environment that you haven't seen. This group hasn't seen it obviously early in the year. And two, giving up that twenty six nothing run. There are a lot of teams, and I think just about every team we've seen in the last decade for Southern Miss that would have lost that game after giving up that run. Uh, that is where you see the benefit of being, I think, the fourth oldest team in Division One basketball. I think the announcers might have said oldest. I, okay, I I've seen have, I've seen right. fourth, and then I've and then maybe the announcer said old. I don't, whatever it is, you're one of the oldest, if not the oldest, teams in Division One basketball, and you saw the benefit of, of being a veteran heavy team in that instance and also having the talent uh, against a, I mean, so just a side note, part of that run was just, I mean, they were, bank, they banked in what, three threes and just every, every bounce was going their way. And that's, that's what happens on the road a lot of times, but to be able to, to dig your heels in and, Go back to work, run your offense, which looks far, far and away better than it did last year. Just there's fluidity and there's structure that we haven't seen. So, I mean, huge credit to Coach Ladner for for revamping the offensive system along with his his new assistants. And he really leaned on it uh, late in that game when you had to have big buckets and you had two guys in Crowley and Hase, who gave you those big buckets, but they weren't the only ones. You got some big buckets across the board. Marcelo Perez had big buckets. Aguirre had a big jumper uh, to, to kind of uh, fight back against that, that big rally uh, for Liberty. So it was far more impressive to me just the way that the game went and where it happened in, in terms of that hostile environment. Yeah, and you're just also they're taking smarter shots. I mean, you've seen that. Uh, oh yes, uh, the the two point uh, it was up a little bit against Liberty, but um, still overall for the year the two point long two point jumper share has been down um, for has been in the liner area. So the offense is they're taking better shots, and um, yeah, I mean, and you also you have to factor in you didn't even have uh, Neftali Alvarez who had you know been running the play yes. for you and was also yep. uh, he was also your best on ball defender probably. Um, and so, Bo Arnold, who is one of your top on-ball defenders, fouls out. Yes, like pretty, or early, yeah, pretty early. Yeah, pretty early. I mean, yeah, it would have been yeah midway through the second. So, um, 
Yeah, just a, a really impressive win. And um, you kind of, I mean, we talked about last week was a proof of concept, and you've just seen further um, in that direction. And, yeah, it was. Just going back to the hostile environment, I mean, I think it seats 4,000, but it was pretty much filled in. I was watching other uh, uh, coach, Richie McKay, um, I think is his name, uh, the coach at um, – Sounds right. Yeah, at Liberty. He was saying that was, like, one of the better crowds they've had since he's been there. And um, so it – Dating back to 2018-2019 uh, season, there were 61-4 and four in Lynchburg, uh, and they had not lost a non-conference game um, in that uh, non-conference home game out of those. Um, so, yeah, that, that was their first non-conference home game loss since the 2018 CIT. Uh, so they'd won 28 in a row against non-conference uh, teams there. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, they don't lose really at all at home, uh, and they're, you know, a good team on top of that. So that that's what made it super yeah. – um, impressive, and I think you just kind of have to look at this point. I mean, you've probably been the most impressive team in the Sun Belt to this point. I mean, I was kind of looking at uh, just so you're still not I mean not super high in these like the Ken Palm and Torvik uh, type rating just because the preseason hasn't phased out yet. But I was uh, looking at the Torvik rating and just using like the results based on this year. And USM is number one in the Sun Belt just if you take out the preseason uh, part of the formula. Um, so yeah, I mean we'll see how. Um, I guess we'll kind of get in to the two games in Cancun uh, yep. coming up. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody – I mean, I think at this point you probably thought you were going to be 2-2, two and two, losing both to Liberty and Vanderbilt, but you would have been happy, really happy at 3-1. and At 4-0, and oh, I mean, you're just thrilled, um, you know, winning two games like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just once you get Alvarez back, I mean, I think he – there is maybe a three-week injury, best-case scenario. Right. So maybe you get him back for that December 4th game against Northwestern State there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, we talked about um, what Ladner had to do um, to kind of, I guess, stay around. And I think at this point he's on pace to kind of do a lot, a lot better than what he had, just the minimum. Um, so, yeah, at this point uh, you have a good team, and I think these the rest of non-count will tell you, um, how good of a team you have. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it looks like a team that can maybe you know, push for 20 wins or more and possibly get one of those, uh, maybe getting ahead of ourselves, but one of those top four seeds in the Sun Belt. So. That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Winthrop is the first in Cancun at 2 o'clock. Pat, what do we know about Winthrop? Well, they're, they're a solid team. They were uh, number two in the uh, Big South preseason. Uh, they're a team that's been one of the top one or two teams in the Big South uh, that went to the tournament. Um, 2021, they were 12 seed. Um, and I think the year before, I can't remember. I think they might have won the regular season, the COVID year. Um, so yeah, they've been one of the better better teams at the Big South. And uh, they're a team where if you put them in the middle of the Sun Belt, or if you put them in the Sun Belt, they would be a, a middle of the pack Sun Belt type team. They'd be like a seven seed in the conference tournament. So they're a, um, uh, I mean, a, just kind of a good barometer, I guess, of how you'll fare in Sun Belt play because they're comparable uh, to a middle of the pack Sun Belt team. And then you would play. Um, either after that, you would play um, Purdue Fort Wayne, who was uh, picked, uh, or he, they had a sh- um, them and uh, I forgot who the other team was, but they were picked with somebody else to win uh, the uh, Horizon League, um, and then you either play them or Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan, uh, they're not very. I mean, they're around maybe three hundred in the ratings. They did give Michigan a decent run at a neutral site game in Detroit uh, earlier in the year. Of uh, a Purdue Fort Wayne, they're. Uh, similar to a Winthrop, um, just the, the kind of that they're in the 150 to 200 range, kind of uh, like Winthrop would be just uh, sort of a middle of the pack type team that you would see in the Sun Belt. Uh, Eastern Michigan, less so, 
Um, so, I mean, I think if you I, you look at that other game, if if you win against Winter, probably play Fort Wayne. Um, and if you lose, you probably play Eastern Michigan. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you play if if you win if you win both of these games, I mean, you would really. Uh, I mean, I guess you already have the hype, uh, the hype overload uh, horn sounding. But if oh, you yeah. open up six and zero and you beat, um, especially especially if it's Winthrop and Fort Wayne, which are uh, two decent enough, I mean, decent teams, um, you'd really be, um, yeah, people would really be hyped up about uh, where this team is headed. So, indeed, and one disappointing thing about this tournament, um, the two games Tuesday, Wednesday on Flow Hoops. Uh oh, which That's I guess is a branch of flow sports yes and that's famously not good yeah i i uh i have personally had trouble with flow sports before so i i don't know um i don't know what the easiest way to access those games would be i'm sure there's an app or something you might have to buy a subscription or free trial or something or something uh, of that sort uh two o'clock again two o'clock on tuesday and then 11 no sorry two o'clock again if you win on Wednesday, if you lose, it's 1130 uh, for the loser's bracket game on Wednesday. But two two important games, it's – I mean, I think you can just tell, obviously, Twitter's is sort of a little – you know, it's a it's a very much a microcosm of Southern Miss sports. Um, but I think given the reaction that you've seen on Twitter and social media at large, and also, I mean, I've heard it in person too – there is real excitement about this team, and people are people are thirsty for a good basketball team. I yeah. think is part of why there is now some hope. I think cautious, uh, cautiously optimistic hope. Um, but man, there's just I think I think it was Andy Burleson who tweeted yes. it out. Uh, yeah, he said he said something along the lines of, yeah, love football and, and baseball, but there's just something about having a great basketball team. And, man, it is so much fun when Reed Green is hopping and you're playing competitive basketball against good teams, competing for the top of the conference. Boy, it would be fun to get back there. Yeah, it would. And, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, even a USM team that's just even kind of like semi, uh, semi-frisky, I guess, is the word – like when I, oh, I was in school, like the most fun I ever had following a USM team was that uh, last year of Doc when you had Tyree Griffin and Cortez Edwards, and I mean that was a solid team, but they weren't you know on par with like a Tyndall uh, or a Ladder <sighs> Eustacey team. But even just them being okay, like just a decent team and uh, kind of making the uh, or they made the semifinals there. And you felt like you had a shot in that conference tournament. Yes, I mean you were the favorite, consensus yeah. favorite in all the you know various betting markets and uh-huh. computers. So that's the thing. Even when USM basketball is just decent and not necessarily great um it's just a lot of fun and I think this yes. team has a chance to be we said it you know at a minimum I think they're pretty good I think this team has a chance to be maybe really good I mean we'll see how high the ceiling is like we've said yeah. later on but uh yeah off to a really good start uh, and yeah people are fired up anything else on basketball before we move on uh I think that is it you want to touch on the baseball schedule? Yeah, so, so we missed this. I, I yeah. was I had a realization on this. I was just sitting at my office. I was like, "Wow, we didn't we didn't talk about the basket or the baseball schedule." Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, this was announced. I guess almost two weeks ago now. And um, so yeah, the, the, just starting with the four non-conference series, um, they're all at home. And uh, we hinted this um, later or earlier in the year. Um, but it's Liberty, uh, which I don't believe we had talked about. Um, 
But yeah, you open up with Liberty at home, and Liberty is a team they've made several regionals, three or four regionals in a row. Uh, they were a top fifty program on the um, on the D one baseball list. Uh, so they're a very formidable opponent uh, to open up with, um, and you, you know you'll learn a lot about your team playing them because they're a good program and they'll have a good team, I'm sure. Um, so then you after that you play Illinois. Uh, we talked a little bit about Illinois. They're a top seventy five type team. They were on the top one hundred of uh, of the D one baseball um, programs list. Uh, they've had success before. I, they haven't made a regional in a while, but um, they're a team. I mean, they'll, they think they were four, third or fourth in the Big Ten last year, so they're, yep. that's another competitive uh, team. And then you, we talk about Dallas Baptist. I mean, I think everybody knows about Dallas Baptist. They were top 30 on that uh, D1 programs list. They've made it to, you know, probably pushing 10 straight regionals in a row, so a really good program there. Uh, and then Valpo, uh, I guess that's the one team maybe team or people don't know a ton about. Uh, and, that, and that's kind of your breather weekend. Uh, but they are not as bad as a North Alabama was. I mean, they'll probably be around 200 in the RPI. I think their round might be 220 last year. Uh, but if you sweep, which you you know should, it, it won't kill your RPI. I mean, it'll maybe hurt it a little bit, but not enough to make a huge, uh, you know, dent uh, like that North Alabama series did last year. Uh, and then the midweek, I mean, no real surprises in the midweek. Uh, you play your home and homes with um, UNO, with um, Southeastern, um, with um, Tulane, with La Tech. And I guess that was the one surprise. You didn't know if you were going to play them this year or not. Uh, and you are going to play them uh, twice this year. And then uh, you play Ole Miss, um, I guess, home and or away in neutral. Play them in Oxford. And then you play them at Trustmark. And then you also uh, play uh, Mississippi State at Trustmark. And then you play Alabama on the road. Uh, so 12 midweeks uh, with uh, four of those are uh, – I guess four of those would be in Hattiesburg, uh, two neutral, and then six on the road. So we, you, I guess maybe talk about this later, but you do play all four of your non-conference weekends um, at home, and you kind of make up for that by buying a bunch of midweeks on the road. I mean, you play, yeah, nine of your 13 away from Hattiesburg, or, nine, um, or eight of 12 away from Hattiesburg. Um, and then um, – your conference series, so your home uh, series within the division is uh, South Al, Lafayette, um, and um, Arkansas State. And then on the road, you have Texas State, um, uh, ULM, and Troy. Uh, and then w- your crossover, we talked about the importance of the crossover. You get the probably the most difficult crossover you can get because you play the three top programs from the east. You play at Coastal. Um, you play at Old Dominion, you get George Southern and uh, and Hattiesburg, and then you also play James Madison. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you, we talked about the, the kind of weighing that RPI versus the conference record. So by playing all three of those teams you're going to have, I mean, it's going to help your RPI. Uh, but it is, I mean, just those games are going to be more difficult to win. Right. So that, I mean, just by you, you could lose a game to Georgia Southern that you might have not lost to if you were playing, you know, Georgia State or something like that. Yeah. Um, so RPI will be um, helped by that. But conference uh, record, conference standings uh, could be hurt a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a solid schedule. I think that just the one thing, uh, the big ding on it for me is that you're playing all four non-conference series at home. And I think even Barry wasn't a fan of that. I, don't, I guess I don't, that's maybe just how it played out this year. But he was – Saying on the Eagle Hour, he he didn't really like that, and then you know next year they'll go back to playing uh, three at home and then uh, one on the road. Um, but yeah, I mean that's just kind of the one uh, the one ding I would say is playing all four um, at home. I think it's good to play uh, at least one, maybe even two uh, yeah. non conference series 
on the road. But, I mean, if you just look at the, the opponents on the schedule, I mean, you play 37 games against teams in the top 100 on the D1 programs list, and you play 15 within the top uh, 50. Uh, so there's plenty of good teams on the schedule. And um, I think, like I was saying, the fact that you're playing a bunch of midweek games on the road, that kind of, um, I guess, neutralizes the impact of all those home uh, series to where it hopefully uh, won't hurt your RPI ton um, by playing. Yeah. I mean, you're not playing. I, for, when I heard that we were playing all four um, home or uh, weekend series at home or non-conference weekend series at home, I thought it'd be like something like 35 home games, which uh, can hurt their RPI just because, you know, the home games are uh, weighted differently than the road games. But 31 out of 54, I think that's okay. Um, and then you also, you also factor in that you have a, a hard schedule um, from the uh, east side. So, yeah, all, all that coupled up or combined, I think, is, is a solid schedule. I think it's B, B-plus type schedule. And uh, you shouldn't have um, huge RPI problems, hopefully. Hopefully. A few months away from baseball. This is a rare episode, talking all three of the big yeah. big three sports. Anything else before we wrap it up around the Sun Belt, Patrick? Uh, I think that is it on the baseball schedule. Pat, take us around the Sun Belt. Yeah, so uh, this last week uh, in the Sun Belt, uh, ULL lost big at Florida State. It was 49-17. It was FSU, I think, was up 35 nothing there. Uh, pretty early on, uh, so they, they ULO wasn't too competitive in that one. Uh, James Madison uh, won forty-two to forty against Georgia State. I think that was a game where they came from behind. Uh, App State beat ODU twenty-seven fourteen. App State uh, jumped on them pretty early there and uh, was able to hang on. Uh, Troy beat uh, ULM thirty-four sixteen. Talked a little bit about that, I guess. Um, and then. Uh, Texas State and um, Arkansas State uh, sixteen. Texas State won that sixteen thirteen. Uh, so I guess Texas State four and seven. Arkansas State maybe three and eight now. I think I think that's right. Uh, and then uh, Marshall was able to uh, clinch bowl eligibility. Uh, they won twenty three ten. They got up early in that one. Uh, they were able to win that. Uh, and then yeah. So last week of the regular season, Coastal goes to JMU, and I think Coastal has already clinched uh, the East. But I think if if JMU were to win this, they would have the best record in the division, and they would have the tiebreaker. So you you may be if JMU wins that, they could claim uh, an asterisk on that Coastal Carolina East division. I'm pulling so, for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Georgia State goes to Marshall. Uh, ODU goes to South Al. Troy goes to Arkansas State. So the, I guess the West Division Troy just needs to win. South Al would need a win and a Troy loss. Yep. Uh, ULO goes to Texas State. Uh, and then App State and Georgia Southern, winner of that gets to uh, bowl eligibility. So that um, is an important game uh, there for uh, postseason implications. Uh, so, yeah, that is uh, some belt last week and then this upcoming week. There you go. Before we do wrap it up, uh, we obviously have to talk about the loss of Ray Guy, another Southern Miss legend. We lost some some good ones over this last year or two. And Ray Guy, obviously one of the best uh, to ever do it. At Southern Miss, one of the best athletes, period, at Southern Miss. Uh, This was true when we talked about Corky Palmer after his passing um, as well. But Rick Cleveland knew Ray Guy very well and and did another fantastic article on uh, Ray Guy's life and just his his legacy as uh, an athlete overall. And um, Really, really uh, great stuff that paints a great picture of who Ray Guy was. Uh, So, be sure to go read that if you haven't. Rick Cleveland is always uh, really great, but yeah, unfortunate loss as always, and thoughts and prayers with his 
family always hate to lose uh, somebody uh, like that but also gives you a chance to remember how great he was uh, really set the standard in a lot of ways at Southern Miss yeah, I mean, not only at Southern Miss, but just at football as a whole. I mean, you kind of yeah. talk about he just revolutionized the yeah. punting position. I mean, you kind of talk about, like, hang time. I mean, that was, wasn't really a thing before he came along. And he was able to, yeah. you know, anytime you watch a football game, you have the hang time. And that was kind of just because of Ray Guy, because he was having these humongous punts. We're that, wondering how high, yeah, uh, how long it was staying up there. Top yeah. of the Superdome. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that will do it for this week's episode of Buzzardry. We will be back, I believe... Next Monday again, uh, we're, we will set a solid schedule and let you guys know uh, as soon as we do that. I'm crossing over into some of these winter sports, and so schedule's a little wonky right now. Uh, but we will plan on being back next Monday. We appreciate you listening, as always, and we are so happy to be with you. That is Patrick McGee. My name is Ben Milo. This has been another episode of Buzzardry. Thanks for listening. This has been Buzzard Dream. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzard Dream Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.